0: memorial day donkeys it is uh well it's monday when you're watching this it is the memorial day of 2021 my name is luke thomas i'm joined as you can see by the gentleman on the other side of the screen my mk brethren we are the hosts of morning combat we're both from cbs sports brian campbell king connecticut and i'm luke thomas bc happy memorial day to you
1: thank you luke and uh And thank you for your service as a veteran. I know this isn't Veterans Day, Luke. I know you didn't die on the battlefield. Okay, but uh, thank you just the same. Uh, Look, here's the deal about holidays. We don't stop, okay? Can't stop, won't stop. Your favorite shows uh, north of the border, they ain't doing shit today, okay? But here you are, sitting home, sparking up the grill, sparking something else up, sparking up probably poor health decisions, and we're here with you. That's the legacy of the show.
0: Yes, it is. I I don't know what other shows are doing or not doing, but certainly here we are here today. And we're here to help you with all of your regrettable life choices. Um, okay, so we'll run through this. Basically, we asked you guys to give us some questions for today's podcast. We're going to go through them. we got some MMA ones. I'm told we have a bunch of fun ones as well. So that should be kind of fun. It, it, um, just a
1: reminder that, This is this kicks off a wild week in the in the history of MK. I mean, it's it's Floyd Mayweather, Logan Paul, Sunday night, Showtime pay-per-view. And uh, you and I very shortly, uh, not right now, but in in the future when people are watching this. So it's like back to the future part Two, like the space time continuum. Um, At some point, we'll be leaving this to get on a plane and we'll be in Miami. And uh, what a week this is going to be. So this is your appetizer. Right. This is like uh, like. uh, Yeah.
0: Yes, this is your appetizer. That's exactly what it is. Very appy in that way. But yeah, we're going to be leaving uh, this Wednesday to go to Miami for the uh, spectacle, bragging rights, BC. All those rights to brag between Mayweather and Logan Paul, which should be, well something (laughs) it should be something i guess um as always thumbs up on the video hit subscribe thank you guys so much for watching i'm not gonna go through the whole spiel you know certainly i can tell you where merch 2.0 is because you know what bc it's like schrodinger's cat right if you never open the box you don't actually know if it's alive or dead it kind of just stays in limbo
1: yeah yeah it is it is it is it's it's not we're not in a good place there okay look at some point we should start our own store really you know
0: i already have one i already have one i can put up whatever i want anytime so bc when you're ready to go gorilla marketing you let me know player okay, and gorilla. i'll keep 100 of the profits it'll be great
1: gorilla radio very good rage song all right
0: it is very a good, good rage song all right dude let's get to these while well, we have some time here we're not going to go through the whole thing you guys want to try showtime you know the deal let's start things off here bc all right yeah, this is about from- showtime
1: this is showtime compound sand this is about us yeah and you right now okay yeah
0: why don't you go make some more paul brother fights huh oh you are okay never mind got, right. got
1: your hat no got your wallet sunday night okay
0: that's what, <laughs> what i got all right all right from t katich katich Katic. apple podcast from the old grand los estados unidos you guys are my favorite mma reporters if you could call such a thing uh after a fighter's loss which which fighter had the most impressive retooling you've seen um I, I, so, I got a so good one.
1: rebounding from a from a bad loss who rebounded the best
0: yeah the answer would not be ronda rousey i don't think she rebounded after a a bad yeah, loss um yeah, yeah. you know who's like really improved like i wouldn't say i mean maybe you could say the sean shirk fight but uh kenny florian was very very good about learning lessons from defeat Now, obviously he was never able to capture a weight class title bc but you Know it'd be wrong to conclude he just took losses and kind of just kept what he was doing and got a little bit better at it. He massively overhauled his game over time, and um, you know, he was quite competitive. It, who, who would you point to?
1: One in try, boxing, maybe. I'm trying to find that. I'm trying to find that where where they had let's say they had a big defeat in a key spot in their rise when, when it when it proved that they weren't worthy yet they figured out how to still become worthy. It's kind of an interesting niche question here, Luke, that I don't – maybe I should have read these questions in advance. Maybe Vittori?
0: I could you say Vittori? And you're
1: referencing the split decision loss to Adesanya?
0: Less so that, more as like a learning lesson. Like I didn't think he was the rightful winner, even no matter if the judges called it split or unanimous. Um, That's a big one. What about Brunson? You could say Derek Brunson had a couple bad losses and he kind of got some shit together.
1: Could you say GSP rebounding from losing to Matt Hughes for the vacant title and sort of saying, okay, that's where he's at. Oh, no, that's not where that French bastard's at. He's the one of the best of all time. And here he comes, Luke, okay?
0: Yeah, that or the Sarah fight. I mean, I mean, the Sarah fight was kind of weird the first time, so
1: it was an aberration. Luke, be honest, it wasn't. It was. Yeah, I mean, it was. A, yes,
0: if they fought a hundred times, Sarah would probably win a few of them. So you got one of those shown to you uh, mathematically, so to speak. But you're right; it wasn't like he like dramatically changed his game. He, he may have changed his tactics in that. Where the second fight, he went right to the takedown, knees to the body, the whole nine yards. But those are some would decent you, examples.
1: Would you throw Big Red Canelo in? Because the humbling nature of the loss to Floyd Mayweather could have could have derailed him to a certain degree, but good God did he get great after that, Luke.
0: Yeah, that's a big one too. Again, it wasn't like the fight right after that where he was like, oh, transformed. But definitely that fight served as an inflection point to send him in a bit of a different direction. I do think that's true. Brian, there's one question here specifically for you. Seriously, while down on a scorecard, which fighter had your favorite performance while in the hands of defeat so for example this person says mine is rory mcdonald losing to robbie lawler which loser so to speak of a fight gave you like the most like holy smokes man they really put it on there
1: so it's another great question would you put carlos condit in there against robbie lawler
0: fuck that's a great one you could also do um jesus you know like a pyrrhic victory um
1: you know, I got a specific uh, one, Luke, that means a lot to me as a boxing fan. Yeah. Do you remember when washed Eric Morales, the, the Mexican legend who, by this point in, like, 2013, was fighting at welterweight, way over his head of his best <laughs> weight, just an old bastard. He got caught with clombuteral. I mean, he's just lingering. And he went in there in an HBO main event against Marcos Maidana, and we were like, yo, shut this shit down. Our, our favorite legend's going to get killed. Like... He shouldn't even be fighting anymore. What are we doing? And then, Luke, in, like, round four, he got one eye completely swollen, shut, closed. And he went on to rally and fight his balls off with one eye to the point, Luke, where I scored that. No, look, I was I was maybe emotional, but I scored that a draw. My Donna won a close decision. But it was one of those Wavos moments where you're like, you have no business being in this fight to begin with. You have no business being in this fight like scorecard wise and with one eye you just relied on your technique and your balls and you gutted out a performance that will never get talked about by anybody but me but impressed the shit out of me Luke same thing with do you remember when Danny Swift Garcia was on his title rise and he fought Zab Judah at, mm-hmm. on, on Showtime at, at the Barclays Center And, you know, Judah was losing, and then he just went for it late. And he cut Danny Swift down a straight line down the center of his Mm -hmm. forehead, and he's putting it on him late. I met Zab Judah in a bar at Cotto Canelo in 2015. And, look, some people might look at this as the ultimate insult when you tell a fighter your favorite victory they ever had was a loss. I said, hey, Zab, you know the best performance you ever had? No, not winning world titles. Gutting it out as an old guy against prime Danny Swift Garcia, you lost that fight. But you know what? You really won. And I don't mean to get all Gloria from white man can't jump, Luke. And sometimes when you win, you actually lose. And sometimes when you lose, you actually win and go down that road. But Luke, sometimes she's right.
0: She is. I would also add you were there for this one. How about Kelvin Gastelum? Israel Adesanya. You're he put right. up a hell of a fight.
1: You're Damn right. You know,
0: how about you wanting You know what? Win? Is that I'll his best win, g- Luke? Jose, I'll give me. you this one. wanting and Jacek against Jang Wiley. I thought she won that fight.
1: Once again, is that her best win? Is that Gastelum's best win when he lost to Adesanya? Luke, it might sometimes you it's rare, but sometimes your best performance can come in a loss. Keith Thurman, I think the best performance of his career came in losing to Manny Pacquiao. Is my crazy, Luke?
0: That's that's a little much. That's his best performance. I that's didn't even think that was the best version
1: new. of him I've ever seen, man. He he
0: I don't know about that. Um all right. From ABC 123 Dragons Loves Tacos. That's his fucking name from USA. <laughs> best show from DC to CT with BC and LT. Okay. All right, got a little rhyming going on here. What's each of your top 5 promotions of all time? So this person has Pride, uh, UFC, WEC, Bellator, Strikeforce. Honorable mentions, IFL, 1FC, Elite XC, Pro Elite. They were kind of the same thing. Affliction, Bodog, Ryzen, and M1. Also, what about Yama Pit fighting? I mean, this is kind of a stupid question because there, <laughs> it's question not really up every, for debate.
1: Yeah, name every promotion. I think that's what the question is. And, and also, like, dude, pro,
0: listen to his top five, though. UFC, Pride, WC, Bellator, and Force. Like, those are arguably the five biggest of all time.
1: Yeah, so you know he really I mean? like, wants us just to nostalgialize our favorite... So, look, UFC is the best ever, and we all know it. My favorite non-UFC promotion. A lot of people are Pride guys, and I respect that. But Luke, I was a strike force freaking Mark. I don't mm. know if I just loved the the fact that they were sort of rebel rivals. They were they had a you know a good backing with Showtime, and then the fights on CBS. I always liked their announce crew, their their production, and I, I you know remember that stretch when they kicked off the the lighthead. I'm sorry, the heavyweight world grand prix, and they had the mm-hmm. video game coming out at the same time, and it was just sort of like it was the little engine that could in the great battle against the great UFC. And uh, even though that battle ended with a purchase and then a dissolvement, I, it, there's a reason why you and I hosted morning combat strike force classics on show extreme that time. Remember that show? Remember that little? I did. I know, thought we did a
0: great business. job. I'm not sure who saw it, but I know we did a good job. I'm not
1: even sure it ever got published, but we cashed some, <laughs> s- some very nice tea. They have a term in our industry, Luke called TV money. Do they not? Yeah, that, It's that was, different. That was, that was pretty fun yeah that was good
0: yeah tv money it's like how would i explain it it's like money on steroids
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, and it's usually less work right like like yes. look like, we don't we don't talk money on here but remember i did that little jim gray fill in where three times yeah. i came out on screen and was like hey nice victory you know right. should i tell the people that paid like seven times more than what we normally get paid for stuff yeah. you know what i mean yeah
0: it's crazy it's crazy yeah. it's less work and it's uh the money is insane so I would just say, like, some, some promotions that I liked for different reasons that were ultimately failures. Uh, you know, uh, Sengoku was a nice kind of... The Sengoku Dream thing was as good as it could be, I thought, post-Pride Collapse. Um, I never liked IFL, but they did have a good roster. They had a solid roster of fighters. Like So when IFL's library got purchased or when IFL... Uh, talent went elsewhere you know the acquisition of Chris Horodeski, of Ryan Schultz of Roy Nelson of Ben Rothwell of a lot of those guys in fact John Jones caught my attention because his UFC debut came against Andre Gusmao. Guzmau was one of the sort of standouts from the IFL in fact when I saw that fight I was like I don't know who this John Jones guy is but Gusmao's was probably gonna run over him and then I saw the results I was like what the fuck and then uh, I saw the Bonner fight and I was like oh my god this guy is totally different so the promotions themselves bodog you know they had the fights on the beach they were a little bit different but it's not about the promotion itself it's like did they have a couple of fights you remember did they have some guys careers that they launched and you know they all had various forms of success
1: well look elite xc and pro elite was just the company behind elite xc with the with gary yeah. shaw and, and scala his son um Elite X C always felt a little like grimy and just barely held together by glue, right? You know what I mean. Like it, when it became stri- when when Scott Coker and Strikeforce, which was doing co-promotion originally with Elite X C, once they took over, it felt professional. But did you like that Elite X C run where it was mostly about Kimbo, but you had Robbie Lawler, you had you know, I mean, they got Eddie Alvarez at a cup of coffee there. You had, you had some. Uh... Did you like that shit, Luke?
0: I um.
1: I felt greasy it felt a little greasy. yeah
0: a little bit a little bit I mean you know but here's the other part too it's like I mean that's just what you get at that level of the game <laughs> you know it's like was it as greasy as advertised maybe you know but at the same time like you know all of these things about the bells and the whistles and the t's crossing and the eye dotting and everything being above board and looking a certain way for presentation or whatever That only really comes at the very high end. It's only even possible at the high end. Like, when people are like, why isn't there more drug testing? This is sort of a side example. Why isn't there more drug testing in regional MMA? Motherfucker, because there's no money for that. And also, people don't really give a fuck, but mostly there's no money. Like, you know, at that level of, if you want to make your way to the UFC, where let's say for just, you know, uh, practical purposes, there is no doping. Obviously, there is, but let's just say that there wouldn't be, you know, just to get there, you're going to have to fight a series of (laughs) dopers. Like, this is just the way it goes. So. Um, that's true. true. All right. From Il Gabiano 22, again, from USA. All right. It's one of your, dude, this is inspired by you. I don't like questions this long, but it's the only one like it. So (laughs) I'm going to read it. Are you ready? Yes, I am. All right. Gentlemen, I have a hypothetical question for you both. The year is 2065. The two of you have been transported through time and space to a future dystopian United States. Brian has been kidnapped by a radical fringe group, Uh, Political group, I should say, who wages violence against all professional wrestling fans and have planned to live stream his torture and subsequent death on national broadcasts in less than one day. Boy, I got to tell you, 2065 sounds like a good time. Uh, All right. The actors involved are led by one (laughs) hypersexual Joshua Fabia, only in loincloth. The only way Brian can be rescued is if someone enters into their 20-man kumite and wins. Luke, your body has been seriously injured, however, as a result of the time travel, and you are compromised. In this future society, the world is exactly like altered carbon, where your memories and mind can be transferred to another body. However, you can adopt the body and requisite skills of another said person. Your rescuers have informed you of the dangers that await Brian, and they offer you three potential bodies from which you can choose that you can help rescue Brian in a potential hand-to-hand altercation. One, 2013 Vitor Belfort. Okay, Two, 2016 Rumble Johnson. All right. Three, Prime Vanderlei Silva. Wow. Okay. Which one of these three would provide you with the best skill set to win the Kumite and rescue the one, the only, the big beige, Brian Campbell? There's
1: one answer. All right. So there's
0: there's a whole section for you. Let me answer this part first. I would say if I those are my three choices, I might go... Ooh, I might. There's
1: one answer, Luke.
0: I know you want me to go TRT Vitor. I would actually There's go no, Vanderlay I mean,
1: like, Rumble's got the best best shot of ending it by accident, but 2013 TRT Vitor is like a it's like a video game character, Luke. It's just I mean, it's just ridiculous. The spinny shit, Luke. Seriously, you've seen a lot of spinny shit in your life, right? Go back and slow down the instant replay of those three wins that he had 2013 how tight his spinny that's the tightest spinny shit ever done on, on by a human. It's the most precise, accurate, tightest. Like how did that leg get from here to here in a split second Luke? right? I mean, it's just ridiculous.
0: Yeah. It's not that good. Um, all right, Brian, which person would you would give Luke the best chance of winning the cup saving your life? He you kind of answered that or the alternative for Luke is he can adopt the body of Peter North <laughs> <laughs> and have a lifetime supply of, you know, you can imagine what he wrote here. We're talking Sofia Vergara, J-Lo, Vitaguerra, and Salma Hayek. He, right. He can retire to San Juan, Puerto Rico with his lady friends, sipping on mojitos, listening to the soft melodic sounds of Gypsy King and Trista Pena as the water laps against the beach. What are we doing here, Luke? And he spelled it no, in I a way it was, that yeah, mo- and mocks Brendan Schaub. Yeah, what are we doing here? Save your friend or ditch him for the BBLs. Are you kidding? You think I'm not ditching this fuck?
1: <laughs> yeah, you ditched me in a second.
0: Yeah. And then they wrote, "Brian seems like a great guy. Never met him. Keep up the good work.
1: Well done, well done, uh, yeah. Gabiano 22." Hey, Luke, can I ask you a question? Please. It's a self-serving question, of course, like most of my commentary in this show. Um, I was mentioning before Eric Morales when he fought Maidana. So, Luke, I have this thing I do when I, you know, I, I mean, you know, how I turned art into a verb. I also turned, you know, the Spanish word for champion. Campion. Campion. I've turned campion into a verb, particularly campioning someone. And here's what it means, look. When you and I cover fights, not together, but our history of like going to Vegas and cover a fight. When the when it's, when it's when it's when it's the bank hours, when it's time to like be there at the press conference, you're professional, correct? You wear nice clothes, you ask questions, you're not showing up in your like, you know, Brock Lesnar t shirt, right? You know, you're not showing up. You're not a fanboy. But, Luke, I have a thing about Vegas after hours. You know, when the work's done, you let your hair down, you go wander around the strip. I want to see fighters. And I ain't a journalist when I see fighters. I'm not a fanboy, but I'm like, you know, let's have some fun. I see somebody crossing the street. Yo, what's up? But when I see some of my heroes, Luke, I'll campion the shit out of them. Okay. And what I typically do is a lot of times I see my great Mexican-American heroes. Like, remember the time, Luke, I was in Vegas and I saw, look at this picture right, right uh, here, this one right there. You see that, Luke? Okay, hold
0: on. Back it up. Back it up just a little bit. There we go. That's, so uh, that, I'm trying to see, is that Morales right there?
1: That's, that's Morales uh, with uh, Rafe Bartholomew and Eric Raskin. We uh. saw Morales and his huge gut walking around the casino, and I'm like, bros, it's my not be on. I got to not be on him and I come running up and anyone who followed my boxing podcast history knows these stories. But I'd run up and be like, "Wevo, bro, you have no you have no business staying in there with my Donna." And you know, and they have an uncomfortable laugh and then I ask for a picture, Luke, because this is my moment, right? And they usually you saw Morales's face in that photo. He's like, eh, yeah, yeah." And then we go on. And then we laugh the rest of the night. Luke, I got huevos campeon photos with me and uh, uh, Joel Casamayor, Eric Morales. Uh, I mean, so many great fighters, Luke. And that's my shit because I love this game. Remember when you went when you lost your shit for Poitouille on that MK It's Because you love this game, Luke, okay? You're not a Poirier super fan, but you love this game. Do you ever do that? Have you ever done that? it's it's 1 a.m in vegas in vonderlay silva's across from you at the slot machines you're just gonna let no. it go or are you gonna yeah, go I'll leave him like-
0: alone i'll leave him alone
1: all right luke maybe maybe we're different people okay maybe no i've people.
0: seen i was behind anderson silva in line after you what was a ufc i forget what fight it was but he was right in front of me in line and the guy had to stop every five seconds to take pictures of people it's like the height of his popularity I left him alone you know i've I've seen i've seen like who's the biggest celebrity you've seen at the airport like regular old joe airport
1: i don't know but i saw
0: so on the way back on the way back from khabib connor i saw john voight and that motherfucker was flying southwest damn john voight you fell on hard times huh (laughs) flying southwest with the peasants jesus christ um i was flying southwest too but uh, I obviously had a, a reason for that. I left him alone too, man. I, I didn't really bother him. I will say this: I, like if I'm out for a fight and I've not seen certain people for a while, I will make a little bit more of an effort to be like, Hey, how you doing? Uh, if it's somebody like I've only known online and this is my chance to meet them, like I met Max Bretos at Mayweather Pacquiao. He was yeah. working for ESPN at the time, he was a sports center anchor. I'd only ever interacted with him online. Then I saw him in person, and then we kind of hit it off a little bit. So, like, I I I will do that.
1: But I'm not, he's not on this conversation, Luke. My point was, and look, if you're walking around the casino and Anderson Silva's got a line of 20 people trying to get autographs, I'm not saying go up there. I'm saying, Luke, when the business hours are closed and you see again someone on that level, you see freaking name the person, right? You see, I, I, I have another
0: one. I saw this was before he was washed. So he is not champion, but he wasn't washed. It was like around the time of the Fitch fight. I was leaving Dulles for some kind of work job and at my gate, just sitting there by himself, no one knew who he was, or if they did, they didn't say anything was BJ Penn. And I think he was that's coming it. back from like a USO tour. Um, I didn't bother him either. I just let it, I just let it go.
1: Okay. Uh, you know, I don't think that's wrong. Look, I'm not looking for an autograph. I'm just looking to get, gi- I'm looking to give them their flowers. I'm looking to pay respect and say, bro, you got a ton of balls and, and thank you. You know, I I've seen Morales before and I found a Spanish speaker. I said, tell him this gringo says he's got massive huevos. Thank you for your service. Okay. Luke, I think that's fine. I think that's, you know what I mean? Yeah. Especially
0: if you don't take your job seriously. Okay. From law dog exclamation point, exclamation point USA. What is y'all's favorite aspect of being MMA analysts, the travel meeting fighters, uh, you guys are awesome since I've gotten the train the last year. Listen to every episode. Keep up the great work. One of your fans in rural North Georgia mountain region shouts to other people affiliated with the state of Georgia. Although I regret mine, BC, what's your favorite part about the job?
1: It's Easy. It's very easy. It's very easy. What um, it's, it's, it's the, uh, the energy of the fights and the access that we have. So what adds to that, it's not just, oh, I'm in this business because I get great seats to fight. It's not that, but here's what it is. You know, when it's a big fight, you're covering it the weeks and the months ahead. Fight week, you're on the ground, you're interviewing the fighters, you're putting opinionated narratives out there, you're doing a lot of things. That all builds up. You go to the weigh-in and there's tension. That all builds up to this tension not Nasakawa, but like actual tension. But then you you get to sit in the yes, in the damn front row or the damn, you know, in the first five rows, whatever it is. And you get to be part of something. It's a close look. I always say, Luke, my end game in this game, and I'm not hiding it, is to call fights, but not you know, but boxing in particular, because that's my my true passion in life. Why? Why do I want to call boxing fights? Because Luke, it's the closest I could get to being in the fight without being a fighter or the referee, right? It is my closest chance to add something to it. And it's not an obsessive thing. Like I need to make this about me. It's that I love this shit so much that calling a fight, I have a chance to be part of the soundtrack, or I have a chance to elevate something I already love and make it even more exciting. Uh, You know, I don't, I don't always get to call fights, but so covering a fight and sitting in that front area there is an energy, there is an addictive thing in the air. This is the thing I love the most. If I never got into this business, I would still be the biggest fight fan. Why? Because there's a connection of course to life and not giving up and fighting through, but it's because this is my favorite form of theater. I respect, even though we make jokes and we make, hey, this guy should retire, we do that. I respect this game and these combatants so much, it's ridiculous. And at the fights, I get to sit there and I'm also tweeting out and writing deadline stories and coming on the microphone afterwards. But Luke, even that's separate from being right there. When Ioana and Whaley go, to they take a two-seat trip to hell. I am there for the ride. I get the secondhand smoke. I get the feels. I get the adrenaline. When I stand up at Wilder Fury 1 and my, my loin is soaked from sweat, it's like I was a part of this, Luke. It is a drug. It is something that is so raw and visceral and not real life even though it's the realest of reels of what happens between those ropes or in that cage i cannot get enough of it and luckily there are companies that like the fact that i can't get enough of it and try to use my voice and my expression to help amplify what they're doing thank you to those people luke because this is why i'm in this game because there's nothing like the fight and maybe that's why in elementary school and middle school, I was almost sometimes like Don King trying to get people into fights and trying to be at the front row watching it and being like, oh my God, you see that guy just punched that?" I mean, like, there's just something about it, Luke. It's, 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 am I wrong, Luke? I know you don't, you're always like, I don't need to go to fights. You know, I'll sit at home and be my own independent superstar and get a hundred million followers on YouTube. But Luke, don't you ever catch that feel? Don't you ever get that rub? Don't you ever sit there and in the blue shirt next to John Morgan and rub it on your teeth a little bit bro am I the only one who's feeling what I'm feeling is it me and the damn schmo is that it
0: yeah it might be no I don't think I think most people probably feel the way you feel and I certainly enjoyed that for a time but candidly that's not really why I got into the business so I, I you know I could I, I, I when I got into what I was ever doing in MMA I didn't even know how media worked I didn't know that you applied for a credential and then you showed up and then there was press conferences and you either put a tape recorder in someone's face or a video camera or whatever. And then you'd either wrote stories or blah, blah. I didn't know what that process was. I just knew I liked fights and I wanted to talk about them. So I've never needed that process, not for validation per se, but for my own satisfaction on the job. Like I never, that it, it can be quite rewarding. Yes. But that's not ever where my orientation is. My orientation is I just always loved fights. I always loved learning about fights. I love the science of it. And I, the best part is I can just spend hours every day indulging that in almost whatever direction that I want. Do I want to go watch some technique study? I do. I can. Do I want to listen to an interview? I can. Do I want to go and just watch old fights for research? I can. I can do any of those things. So, you know, I I, I tend to have narrow interests as a consequence, but like for my occupation, I get to just indulge all of my interests in whatever way is available to me that day. And I've been blessed like UBC to have a lot of different opportunities to do that a lot of different ways. But and like, I
1: don't think that's self-serving or, 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 or selfish to say that you just want to be part of it in some way because you love it so much. I mean, mm. like we, we chase after what we love in life where we, well, you and I are lucky to, to, to never work a day in our lives cause we do what we love, but it's true. You want to get as close to that and be a part of that as you possibly can. I just choose my lane in life, not to get in there and mix it up and prove my toughness, but you're damn right. I want to be close to that. Luke. Is that wrong? All right?
0: No, it's not. I'm from... not
1: in it for the journalism or the breaking news or the, Yeah,
0: I can tell. All right. From Basman 1989 BC from Ireland, all the way from Ireland. It says a bunch of nice things. Does having one, excuse me, does having only one or two very good fighters make a coach a great coach? E.g. John Cavanaugh has Connor and James Gallagher. Faraz Zahabi, Faraz is spelled wrong, has GSP and Rory. Would these fighters not uh, have been just as successful under a lot of different coaches? Uh, by the way, Kraus is over at uh, Glory MMA over in Missouri for the most part, at least in some part anyway, uh, he's like is Zahabi overrated first of all those are not Zahabi's only two fighters those are maybe his two biggest ones and yeah dude it, listen Saint Pierre probably would have been a very decorated champion almost anywhere he would have gone and in fact he did have a lot of coaching input he had Phil Nurse he had Greg Jackson he had Mike Winklejohn he had Farazahabi, he had John Danaher he had a lot of different people giving him input into who he was but I'd say Roach. this be Freddie Roach But I'll say this, first of all, Faraz had a a number of various successful fighters. Uh, As it relates to John Kavanaugh and SBG, I've said this before, it's going to be a lot harder, BC. Like, if you're a Nick Saban, why is Alabama continuously putting out championship or championship-level teams virtually every year? Dude, a big part of it, as you well know, is recruiting. Who they can get to come and walk through the door when, you know, your LSUs and your Floridas are trying to get them as well. It's going to be harder to recruit in Ireland than it is to be over in the United States. There's so many gyms here where they're high-level guys in that. SBG is going to have some of that, that too, but it's going to be, you know, across the pond, it's going to be a little bit harder to get all the best guys in the world to want to go there. So um, I don't really hold that kind of thing against them too much.
1: It's similar, and you're going to hate this reference, but to the WrestleMania 19 storyline build and the match between Hulk Hogan and Vince McMahon, Luke, where the storyline was, you know, the chicken or the egg. Did Did Hulk Hogan make... Vince McMahon in the WWE because he was the biggest superstar of all time at the right time or did Vince McMahon and company make Hulk Hogan because of the ideas that they had in taking it national and all that. It's the same debate between coach and fighter. A great coach can only really be great. If he's got the perfect sort of willing student with the, with the built-in blessed talent and the eagerness to grow sometimes Luke, like let, let's just Virgil Hunter and boxing as a good example. He got his name as being Andre Ward's trainer and no one else. Andre Ward is an all-time great, right? Virgil Hunter has had, because of Ward's success, become a bit of a celebrity trainer and fighters are jumping out of their way to go to him. I don't really see a scenario in which Virgil Hunter has taken any other fighter and taken them to the top or improved them significantly. Right. Does that mean he's a bad coach and it was Andre Ward's talent that helped him make his name? I, you know, you don't really know. It's always a little bit of both, right? Mm. It's, it's Hunter's perfect fatherly skills and and, and ideas that mixed with Ward's greatness. Um, can there be a coach like we, like the spirit of that wheel of death question I asked you last time about um, Trevor Whitman, where it's like, which fighter right now who's, who's really good, but hasn't figured out their greatness might be the perfect candidate to mix with Whitman, where he can unlock their greatness? You know, yeah, that's, that's because Trevor's a great coach. But again, you need a fighter who's already really damn close to being great, who maybe is missing that one ingredient. So can a trainer who only really has one fighter still be a great trainer? Yes. It just doesn't necessarily mean that they can take nobody and make them somebody or that they will mesh perfectly with every style of personality or fighter, right? It's why Freddie Roach, who was already a good trainer before Manny Pacquiao, became a legend because of Manny Pacquiao, has had such mixed results with other people besides Manny Pacquiao does that make sense Luke
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. totally but also you got to remember too the other part is like a lot of fighters who have shit going wrong might find like oh I got to go find someone who can fix all of this so now you know these coaches will have fighters who they'll take them on as like reclamation projects and maybe that's not their best student and they don't have the, the biggest results And we don't talk about that kind of thing, but it had a potentially for them about as good of an impact as it could have had elsewhere. So it's not just about like what level of superstar you get. It's about what you can do for that individual person. And again, recruitment is going to be a big part of it. And for us, obviously in Montreal is going to be a little bit, you know, closed off relative to some people like in Florida or California or something. But even then North America Before the pandemic, you know, it was pretty wide open. And I did see a lot of Americans going. I mean, I've talked to Ryan Hall. You know, I've talked to Ryan Hall about a lot of people he's trained with. And, you know, he never slanders anyone that I can recall. But he definitely emphasized to me just how impressive Faraz's knowledge of the combat sports game was. You know, I don't think that that comes lightly. I I tend to think he doesn't give. He doesn't hand out praise like that very easily. So, um, and And do people really associate Ryan with Faraz? You should because he's had a hand in that.
1: And some people think Coach Latore is overrated because she doesn't have the technical expertise. But, you know, she provided the right motivation and support at the right time, Luke, you know?
0: Listen, she overachieved, if anything. All right. True. Oh, wait, uh, look, I'm a that.
1: little upset going back to the what do you love about most about covering this game discussion because you sort of painted me as an, an addictor of the fight high who's in it for my own uh, spoils, which is true, Luke. But don't try to downplay your your own love for this game. I mean, if I got let's say I say something tomorrow bad about Dana, which is possible. And let's say Dana actually hears it and goes, you know what, BC, you're in. Josh Gross, Ariel, Loretta Hunt territory, you'll never appear at a fight again. It's not that my heart won't go on, Luke. I I could be okay covering from a distance and still get the love. But that juice is special. I don't like when you downplay that juice. When you act like you're better than, well, I'm not in this game to talk to celebrity fighters or be at the fights. I'm in this game because I love this game. That's respectful. But don't act like there's something wrong with me, Luke, because I love being close to the action.
0: It's right? not even that. It's just, you know, I never, ever had, like, as a vision for myself, I never had a vision that doing that kind of thing at fights was a part of it. It, it was a part of it I had to either adopt or on occasion do well with or do poorly or whatever like it's something that's part of the job but that was just never ever the way I positioned myself inside of the sport and so that you know get these you
1: g- high in the fight game covering it in your day in your job greatness, right
0: now greatness watching watching elite fighters tur- like yesterday on the show I want to build something great watching them do something great to me is like you know, watch watching Adesanya do what he did to you know whoever pick pick one uh, Costa or whatever your performance was Saint Pierre with the the jab to Koscheck's face or you know, whatever, whatever, whatever performance where you're just like, holy fucking shit, man. Like, I respect Khabib that. doing what he did to his, all those fighters. It just, it, bl- it blows you away. It, it it makes your imagination work over time. You, you're, you're thinking about it all day long. I live for that more than like, there's just, the, the, the one thing I don't like is there's a certain kind of uh, media type. And this is in true in boxing too. It's hardly exclusive to MMA. We're like, they can't wait to get on the road. They just can't wait. And that's okay. But I've noticed that it's like, A lot of people who live that way have really imbalanced lives where if they can't get that thing on the road, that shit falls apart for them. And I just never wanted to be that guy.
1: And I don't want to paint myself as somebody who's willing to give away my journalistic credibility or anything just to get that gift of being so close to the action. That's not true, Luke. But I have found that's what keeps me coming back as well as the interviews. Luke, I know you don't love interviews, but would you admit when you and I do these interview specials, my favorite thing about interviews is getting someone to say something that they've never said or that they didn't think they were always, going to say. Always, Because I was able to create an environment that was either fun or challenging or freeing or whatever. Do you, do you love that same feeling?
0: Yes. I, don't, I, I dislike interviews in the sense that uh, what they often become not intrinsically something about talking to another person as, as perhaps misanthropic as I am. That's actually not my, uh, not my beef. Like, you know, I've had great sit down interviews that I thought were just fucking awesome. Or, you know, when I learned something talking to a fighter who finally opened up about what they see in the fight game and they can tell me about it. And it's this, it's this fucking eureka moment where, you know, I've had certain guys explain certain things to me and I never saw the fight game the same afterwards. Do I live for that? Those are great. The problem is, you know, you have to go through a lot of really inauthentic conversations to get to those. And I've just lost a lot of the appetite for that. But like, you know, if I could reasonably entrust that there was a process by which the person sitting across from me would give me, you know, like the wheel of death, right? A good faith effort then I would do significantly more of them. What I just don't want to do is sit there for 20 minutes and be like, we didn't fucking learn anything because this person doesn't want to say anything. I don't like doing that. that.
1: But I look at that bullshit as a means to an end. I look at that. Like, it's sort of like, I look at every interview as a psychological experiment, not that I'm trying to trick the subject that I'm interviewing, but that I want to get past that wall of bullshit And I know that sometimes I have to waste questions or waste bullets or even make myself look like an asshole or make myself look like a buffoon, whatever I feel like the situation calls for to open those gates. So I'm willing to endure that, Luke, for the hope that by the end of that, whether it's a 15 minute block with the UFC, which is short and quick or whatever, that I could feel like we got somewhere special, real, pure you know, emotional, because as much as you are in love with the greatness of the craft and seeing it done at the highest level, I am in love with this journey of the fighter because I am in love, Luke, with the idea of somebody overcoming their own fear to maximize the greatness within them. So we we both end up at the same destination. We just have different ways of loving to get there, Luke.
0: Yeah, I also, by the way, you might laugh at this. You know, I don't know what your experience is. I have personally had a lot more luck with boxers opening up Yes. than I have with MMA fighters. I'm not sure if that's just coincidence or if there's something else to it. And the other part is, you know, I don't want to... Re- Dude, please, I really don't want to relitigate this. I'm re- I just don't even want to talk about it other than to say, after hosting a national radio show for as long as I did and then the MMA hour at the same time and going through the politics to make interviews happen at the way in which they need to happen on a regular schedule, that was so off-putting and frankly yes. awful that I kind of just, I kind of just walked away well, you and after I debate a debate this while.
1: all the time. And you're right. And you, and there's different ways. There's the, you can go the traditional way through the promotion. You can go through the manager an agent. You can go through the fighter directly and each has their plus and minuses in terms of time given, whether somebody is listening in on the call to regulate the speed I and mean, there's a lot of different elements in it, but yes, either way either way you go to get it there's bullshit you have to go through luke and it could drive a person insane but i it guess certainly it certainly can all right i want to get to a few more after of this, it depends on what you're after luke you know what i mean i'm not after the fame bro i'm after the art the craft i'm after the moments i'm after getting high off this shit luke okay no,
0: i did a i did a interview in 2013 i believe 2013 maybe 2012 with chael son and this is long before he had fully embarked on a exclusive sort of media role that he is in now and we did a a technique talk which is one of these things where we don't talk about like how to apply a choke but why for example why might guillotines be becoming more popular why is there let's say a move to leg locks or how, how, how did the jab become all of a sudden something people abandoned whatever was happening in a larger way in technique and he gave me this set of brilliant answers. All I did was ask questions. It was really his answers. And Deadspin named that, you know, best sports writing of 2013, one or among 50 other articles of all sports. And I was like, holy shit, I didn't write anything. And again, it's all credit to Chael, not to me. But the point being is that interview stands the test of time for me. That's what I'm after. And it was so funny because that was at the time that Chael was like feeding the carrot to the bus stick, And then he talks to me and he lets all of that go and then gives me insight into Chael, the tactician, the fighter, the strategist, the wrestler, the guy who has thought about some of these things and the interplay. It was one of my favorite interviews I've truly, truly ever done. I would do those the rest of my life if I could trust it would get something like that. But I just was so fucking worn down by the inauthenticity of it all. Um, For me personally, I just couldn't take it anymore.
1: And maybe your point comparing the access and the openness of boxing versus MMA, I feel like MMA, fighters are more sensitive to potential criticism
0: yes and Ma- maybe much more of, so
1: maybe because of their connection to the ufc which is a structured environment you don't get the same access you do in boxing boxers typically come from much more broken backgrounds which tends to leave them more open to to sharing i think and and i don't know there's, there's some interesting uh, things there at play
0: All right, let's keep this mood if we can. From Bazman, 1989 from Ireland. Yeah, we already did that one. Sorry, let's go to, here we go. Big Donk T2T. I don't think that's his longstanding name. That sounds like a name he put together pretty pretty recently. But he says, Luke and BC, regarding Manny Pacquiao's instant late career resurgence, not quite instant, who would you say is an apt MMA equivalent to this? He says, Glover does not count. Okay. Somebody that's overachieved
1: over (laughs) is it somebody that's overachieved in their twilight, essentially? Yeah,
0: I think somebody who came on strong at the end that a lot of folks didn't maybe see. You could maybe say Michael Bisping a little bit, a little bit. Yes,
1: yes, yes. Um But here's the deal, though. Like, was he significantly better of a fighter in upsetting Rockhold than he was in the times that he came just short of, like, getting title opportunities? I'm not sure. I mean, maybe the experience and the lessons learned had made him smarter or had given him more confidence or maybe more of a willingness to say, screw it. You know, you can always argue those things, Luke. But I don't know. It's weird, Luke. If he hadn't fought rock hold in the rematch at the exact perfect time and landed the exact perfect punch and he and that was something that he had looked at on film and he thought was an avenue to victory what would we be saying about bisping today even though he's still the same guy right i don't know it's Mm -hmm. weird right
0: yeah so also to keep in mind the record of of bisping 30 and 9 so he had almost 40 pro fights manny pacquiao by the way same age 42 roughly yeah they're, they're both 42 Pacquiao will enter this Spence fight, right? I've said this before. This will be his 72nd fight. He's got almost double the amount of fights. Isn't that fucking insane? Just crazy. And again, Pacquiao's
1: had most of his biggest wins, like in the early part of his career, are brutal. Look, they're all wars, dude. They're all freaking wars.
0: Yeah, dude. I'm just looking at his resume now. I mean, this is just in the last, just since, just since, let's say, 2018. 2008, he fought Juan Manuel Marquez, David Diaz, Oscar De La Hoya, Ricky Hatton, Miguel Cotto, Joshua Clottey. That fight sucked. Shane Mosley, Juan Manuel Marquez again. Timothy Bradley, Juan Manuel Marquez again. Brandon Rios, Timothy Bradley again. Chris Algieri, Floyd Mayweather, Timothy Bradley again. Jesse Vargas, Jeff Horn, Lucas Matthysse, Adrian Broner, and then Keith Thurman. Motherfucker, he did that since 2008.
1: And I, yes, and who did he do before that? It's like legend, 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 yes. legend. Um, look, you know what the MMA equivalent might be because of huh. the late surge, Randy Couture, because of yeah. the resurgence at heavyweight when we thought he was done, right?
0: That's actually a decent point. I like that. I can go with that for sure. Okay. Uh, you can only
1: do it in the higher weight classes, right? You and I always say this you can't be an aging lightweight in this game and have monster success, right?
0: No, I don't think you can. Uh Okay. What
1: about Andy Silva. He I mean seriously, Silva lingered yes. late. He Silva was
0: didn't bloom late. bloom like he didn't be like Silva was always Silva was a little bit like um I don't want to say MVP, that's not quite right, but he was always like that striker you respected but was kind of limited not limited but like hadn't broken through. I remember he gotten, you know, heel hooked by Rio Chonin in a very visible and obvious way. And he had some shitty fights like against Atsuka and stuff. He didn't become like even start the process of becoming Anderson Silva until the Leibniz fight. He was like 32, 33 at that that point, you know? Um, So, yeah, you're right. He had a late push too.
1: Final thing on this Is Uriah Faber's ability to stay fairly relevant and competitive in a small weight class in his late 30s underrated or is it overrated because every time he steps up to the super elite level, he loses during this stretch?
0: I. It is amazing to me that he can, I'll say this. It is amazing to me that he can remain as competitive as he has been. And as he, I don't know how he is these days, Bantamweight's pretty fucking tough, but that he was, he was never good enough at the UFC level, I should say. And then partly the WEC level, but uh, obviously he was champ for a time to be the, 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 the guy. He wasn't the Aldo guy, but you know, it's the same thing with, with Rich Franklin. It's like, dude, okay, you weren't Silva and you weren't whoever the top 205er was at the time, but you gave all of them, the other motherfuckers, tough fights, super tough fights and beat a good chunk of them too. It's a little bit like that. Like, you know, it, you have to just sort of understand that along we talked about it with Cyborg. Cyborg is, doesn't have a better resume in many ways than Amanda Nunes. She just doesn't, but she's been doing whatever she's been doing for a lot longer and that is its own kind of achievement i really believe that it's a that's a different kind of thing all right from these these are just random questions so from billy big wheels usa bc this for you you're stranded on an island for the rest of your life you have access to one book one album and the ability to watch one ufc event for the rest of your life what are your choices all right so one book one album one ufc event
1: i'm not a huge reader luke as we know as we talk about
0: i can't believe it
1: can i pick the bible luke i feel like that book could help me the rest of my life get out of here i I don't care you are more
0: likely to pick uh larry flint's hustler than you are the bible be serious
1: i I don't care what you think i'm picking the bible because it'll help me the rest of my life um one ufc event
0: one album one album
1: All right, so one album, when it's your only album, the rest of the life, rest of your life, doesn't necessarily mean you're going to pick your favorite album. In some ways, you're almost—it goes back to that rewatchability movie question, right? Tommy Boy's not the best movie I've ever seen, but would I pick that on a desert island to be able to rewatch, or would I pick Star Wars Episode Four, maybe? yeah, probably. So, what album would I pick that is just like the rest of my life? I can't get tired of it. I could constantly reinvented and find new things about it i'm gonna pick abbey road by the beatles luke Mm. I, i mean that second half luke that where they have the the medley you obviously we haven't had a detailed beatles discussion on air i'm still very much looking forward to it but you know what i'm talking about luke that 16 minutes and 44 seconds from you never give me your money all the way to the end to the end and then her majesty on the back end of that it's the most brilliant stretch in rock and roll history luke it's, it's the genius of McCartney being able to, and you saw this later in his career with Wings, like the song Band on the Run, which is like a mini suite of like four different pop songs melded together. Band that, second, on the run. that second half of that Abbey Road album, is the it's the drugs. I mean, it's everything, Luke. And the first half is also fantastic too. I'm going to pick that album. And uh, which UFC card? Which is a, another fantastic question.
0: I don't know. if There's one UFC event yeah. holding like high esteem like that.
1: I'm gonna go UFC 217, Madison Square Garden, Luke. I'm gonna call that up really quick.
0: Yeah, that's a pretty good one.
1: Okay, here's what here's what I'm talking about. November 4th, 2017. I was there. I think you were too, Luke. I, I was I there. I saw you in line. Okay? I was there. Mm-hmm. I think I, I saw went that your, one. Your your big ass and and your your uh, I mean GSP Bisping, TJ Cody two. Rose Joanna one Stephen Thompson, Jorge Masvidal and Paulo Costa. Johnny Hendricks is the damn main card. Now in fairness, the prelim and the early prelim are not spectacular where you could definitely find other cards that top to bottom are deeper on, on the full. But in terms of that, I mean, that main card is fantastic. Luke it's fan freaking
0: Yeah, it's pretty good. I go that one, maybe two Oh five, some of the old pride stuff. Some of it holds up. Some of it doesn't, you know, um,
1: Hey, that, that 205 main card, Luke, you know, 205 is actually a better card overall. Okay. Main card, Connor, Eddie, Woodley Thompson, one, Joanna, Carolina, Yoel Weidman, Pennington retires Misha Tate, but then that FS one prelim card, Frankie Edgar, Jeremy Stevens, Habib versus Michael Johnson, Luke Bilal Muhammad, which was a, you know, a war for about 70 seconds. Uh, yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a good card. Good one
0: that's a good one for uh for album easy pantera um vulgar display of power that's an easy call and then book that's the tough one fuck man that's a really tough one <sighs> i don't i really don't know about book i don't know if i could pick just you one you could
1: pick it in you could pick a a reference type book luke you could yeah pick, if yeah, i did I could...
0: reference i would do dictionary of cultural literacy but by ed hirsch but Other than that, I wouldn't know. There's just not one book that speaks to me in that kind of a way. All right, from Doc Jono from Great Britain. Which 80s, 90s action movie do you think needs a reboot? So for example, this person says, I'm going to go with Highlander. What do you think, BC?
1: Which action movie do I want seen done over in a new way with new casts and new twists and turns? Like Um, a new
0: way to approach it.
1: I don't even like that. I don't like when they do that, Luke. Has it ever worked yeah, it's, out well? It's like,
0: that's like all they do anymore.
1: I know. It sucks. All they do is superhero movies or retreads. It's like...
0: So let me let me ask you this way. Has there been a reboot that you liked more than the original?
1: Well, it's, it's a tough question because if you've seen the reboot first before the original, that can inform your opinion. But if you're asking me off the top of my head a reboot that I was like, damn, that was well done. I can't even think of one, Luke.
0: Yeah, can't me neither. You know? Like that rebooted know. Ghostbusters thing where they have the all-female cast. It's one of the worst movies ever made.
1: No, no, no I don't. I don't like any of that shit. Um, what would I like done again? Uh, I don't. You know. I mean. Yeah, I don't
0: know. It's not. It's like, not a bad question in the sense that, like, hey, what's something that maybe could be reinvigorated? There might be some kind of brand that I'm not really thinking. Of. You know what? They don't make anymore. They don't make any like ninja movies. You know. Like the ninjas were a big thing in eighties and nineties martial arts movies about how sinister and menacing they were. And now ninjas are just kind of like John wick just okay. blows their brains out, you know?
1: And I think the better question on here in light of how great the Cobra Kai franchise is, which is just taking the three or four karate kid movies and adding to them. That's also a big, you know, trope in Hollywood right now. Is, is there a specific franchise? Like, I think, you know, Creed one and two did a great job of taking the Rocky franchise in keeping the spirit alive but opening up new boundaries is there any sort of franchise that from our youth that you think could really you know bringing these guys in as old people now and in the next generation
0: no i don't don't like i gotta tell you i don't like seeing old action heroes yeah it it doesn't get me sized at all
1: Yeah. I mean, I, so I did a thing with uh, Rafe Bartholomew when he worked at Grantland in 2014, Luke, where we watched, there was a Steven Seagal like movie festival in LA. So he went to it and him and I broke down those movies in detail. And uh, the thing, what I did ahead of that was I watched every single Steven Seagal movie. So Luke, that's like 25 different direct to videos. Right. And dude, by like 2000, so remember when Seagal had that mini comeback around 03 when he did Exit Wounds with DMX and he had a couple others with famous rap stars and he was kind of back for a minute. Well, he dipped right back into direct to video after that. In his fat movies, Luke, I mean, they are so tightly zoomed in and the fight scenes are in like slow motion and it's just sad. It's really sad.
0: Uh, all right, this is just to me, but I'm going to flip it to you in a different way from Young Gun NC. So, I guess he's from North Carolina. He asked me, how many Cannibal Corpse shirts do you own? So the answer is I have two long sleeve, one short sleeve of the band, and then one short sleeve of just the lead singer. So I have four. So BC, is there one band where you have more apparel for that band than uh, like any other?
1: So I did. So look, I was a, a Beatles fan of like, disgusting addiction in high school and college. I had at one Same. point Same. probably I mean so my high school <laughs> So dude school hold on here. real
0: real real quick my parents were divorced so we me and my brother he went to UVA for 2 years while I went to William & Mary so there was a two I mean he went all 4 years but there was a 2 year period where we overlapped. So I would go pick him up or he would go pick me up and then we would drive down to see my mom in Georgia and the entire 9 to 11 hour trip would just be Beatles. Just fucking <laughs> Beatles the whole way. I
1: mean there was a point you know senior year of high school, first couple of years of college, where it was literally the only music I listened to every inch of my walls had some kind of Beatle thing on it. I grew my hair out to try to look like George Harrison and Luke. I probably had 22 or 23 Beatles t-shirts. I mean, that's just like a, almost a gross level of like, yeah. So I don't have, I, I somehow got rid of all of those. I'm, I'm not sure at what point in my life I did that, but I, today I don't have like, Probably more than two of any band. So I'm really not a perfect answer to this question. Mm. I'd like to rebuild the music t-shirt collection though, Luke. I have way too many WWE t-shirts. I have a lot of great UFC t-shirts because I only buy them when they're super 90% off, Luke. So I'm really building a nice library of like uh, Vulcan Ozdemir, um, Hen and You know, I got, I got some weird ones, Luke.
0: Bro, I bought a Sean Price t-shirt because obviously he's my favorite MC. And I didn't know this, but on the back, it's got his lyrics, one of his, uh, you know, some of his bars and they, they it's all written out in, in English. And like, it's not like 16 bars. It's like two and they put the N word on it. So now I can't wear the fucking shirt, man. <laughs> like so I got it out of the a mail.
1: That has the, the I,
0: just, just the front is Sean Price's face and nothing else. And I guess I'd never checked the back. I didn't, I didn't look when I bought it like an idiot so then i, I the, the, the t-shirt comes i take it out of the mail i'm like fuck yeah this shirt's great and then i flip it around and it's got the bars I'm like, oh that's cool and i'm reading i'm like oh you got to be fucking kidding me now i can't wear this goddamn shirt okay. anywhere
1: so you could wear like a open hoodie z- zipper up over it the problem is yes. what if you're in like the tsa line and they're like you got to take that that thing off and then you know you're and you you're just ridden. got
0: the n-word blaring on your shirt as a white guy i did that's not a good look
1: that's not good that's not
0: good, that's not good. all right bc this is a great question for you from Sam Baca from Great Britain. What is your top tier condiment? Top seed, number one go-to.
1: It would have been ketchup my entire life. And I it's like boring or, you know- that, that, was my, that was
0: my answer for 30 years.
1: I mean, it was, I mean, look, I'm the, I'm one of the, the bigger ketchup abusers of all time, Luke. But dude, and now you can buy it in bottle form. I'm late to the party on Chick-fil-A being grown up in the Northeast. I didn't, you know, I didn't have it until I was Chick-fil-A 35. Sauce. Chick-fil-A sauce is is the best thing that's ever happened to me, it <laughs> It's It really is.
0: fucking good. It's so, pretty yeah. good.
1: I don't even want to know what mix it is, but, you know, um would you say that ketchup so they have um
0: It's it's like a it's like a mayo-y honey mustard?
1: Something like that? Some that's a great way to say it. And I was going to say that they now make ketchup and mayonnaise together, but it's grow it comes out in a gross almost
0: thick It's like paste pink.
1: Yeah, I like actually just taking ketchup and mayonnaise and mixing them the traditional way because it's more like it's loose and tangy and tasty. I don't like the thick paste version they have now, but yes, ketchup and mayonnaise together is incredible. And look, just honey, I know you don't like honey mustard or you say you have to be in the mood for it. Anything dipped in honey mustard is also where we're That's where we're at, Luke, okay? I feel that's
0: like you have at. to get, for me personally, for me to enjoy honey mustard, and I do, I need something like really starchy. Like, like a, if I went to a ball game, and i got chicken tenders you know fr- big fucking fried chunks of chicken meat that to me works but just like putting it on a burger i don't know that i could do that i feel like it'd be overwhelming to a degree um you so my number the- one is actually not gonna be that i am a hot sauce guy as you know i love yes. hot sauces all different all different kinds i don't have like one that i like more than others although pork probably ways is very 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 good but everything that gaff hot sauce gaff makes had is
1: good. a live instagram you probably don't follow gaff because you don't you don't really patronize any of our staff members, but uh I don't. Gaff posted it that he bought it and he was, he was trying it. So, you
0: know, yeah. did he like it? Do you know,
1: I, we, I got to follow up on Instagram. I don't know.
0: All right. Uh, BC from Martin Christopher USA. Do you have a favorite TV show of all time, or at least do you have a show that you can always go back to and watch? For me, it would be game of Thrones and boardwalk empire.
1: In terms what, of what, 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 do you, what, do you, what do you say? in terms of the rewatchability element, I will say the wire is my favorite show of all time. In that regard, I was very late to the party. I've rewatched. I've watched it now a total of, I think three and a half times. And it's, I mean, I don't have to sell you on it. It's absolutely incredible, but my actual favorite show of all time is the wonder years. And I am excited that they, they just, they have a reboot coming out where Fred Savage is one of the executive producers. And it's about an African-American child. I think growing up in the sixties as well, but I always stand by the wonder years, Luke, because every single episode I found a way to cry during it. And I don't mean that in some stupid, sappy, lame way. I just mean that show touched so to the heart of that period of middle school and high school and the angst and the dynamics of family, the father-son connection, all that stuff. And what's great about it is I don't know if you remember that Wonder Years, the first episode debuted after the Broncos and 49ers Super Bowl when we were kids. And I remember I watched it with my dad. He Sometimes he'd sit in with me and watch a Super Bowl, even though he wasn't a sports guy. And I remember him, you know, the Joe Cocker theme song comes on and it's just like, he he said to me, he goes, he was adding up the math. He goes, who Fred Savage's character was? He goes, I was the same age as him that same year. So Mm. it was like something Mm. I could watch with my dad in which I'm taking a snapshot into his life to a certain degree with the Vietnam and the Woodstock and all that, but also seeing yourself in it. Look, I, I still can watch reruns of that to this day and tear up. I don't know what they did but they got it. That's the per. That show's perfect, Luke. All right.
0: I can't really go back and I've never gone back and watched Breaking Bad, but I fucking loved it at the time. I would agree for rewatchability. The one show I did do that, frankly, I think might be the only show I've ever done that is The Wire. Honestly, for rewatchability, BC, you might laugh at me a little bit. I, you know, I'll watch Family Guy or American Dad. You can put those on and, you know, you can watch four or five of them. It's not that hard. And there's going to be obviously some decent laughs halfway through. I'll also say like early family guy writing is not nearly as good as like the most modern version. Their writing has gotten way better as a show. South Park, to me, I can watch kind of like that as well. You know, so I'd say Would something you, like that.
1: Where does and I like with. um what app is it? Disney, Disney plus that they now have the entire Simpsons library. What is yeah. the season where you feel like the Simpsons like stopped being all time. Great. Is it like, I'm not, I'm not sure. I watched it. Oh you, my all Like season 12. You know,
0: I I, I quit watching it. Basically not quit, but I didn't really watch it all that much once I got to college. So anything after 99, I didn't really pay all that much attention to. So I couldn't tell you.
1: There is something. Uh, this... My kid, my kids got hooked on it lately. There's something about watching seasons two or three through seven that is just amazing it's the amazing it is. i mean you don't, um, get down this like, is, you don't get down like that okay
0: this is something i have you should tell the audience the truth that i told you where this comes from but hms Meeby from the usa says what are y'all's thoughts on chicken and waffles bc have i not explained to you where chicken and waffles come from did we not have a long conversation about uh, this
1: you might have can you refresh me
0: so for folks who don't know, I, I believe it came out of the of New Orleans. But if that part's not true, I'm happy to retract it. But my understanding was jazz musicians in places where jazz perhaps was prominent, what they would end up doing is they would end up playing so late into the night that they couldn't decide if they wanted dinner, chicken, or if they wanted breakfast, waffles. And so they began to combine the two at the time. So you have this sort of savory kind of evening dish with a sweeter kind of breakfast dish. And Brilliant. it turns out that a lot of people like the combo of the two. I like it. I don't exalt it like it's some kind of genius moment of culinary, uh, you know, work.
1: Well, it but, is a genius in the, in the in the comfort food category. It's next level pairing. I mean, it's genius. It is. But the Come
0: key on. is what you put with it. If I gave you a dish of chicken and waffles and I said you could put one side, what's your side? See, that's where it gets dicey.
1: I never even thought of that. What are my options?
0: I usually go with mashed potatoes. I like something a little bit more that leans on the savory side because I feel like the I feel like the waffles and then the syrup if you don't do it right is so overpowering. And I like a little bit more maybe you know what? How about this? Something that cuts both ways. Cheese grits cheese grits you can have almost at any time
1: yeah yeah i'm with you on that luke so
0: you see are you repairing a fucking camaro in your garage while we're (laughs) recording this what are you doing
1: i don't i don't need to tell you what i'm doing um what i will say is that you and i are you and i going to atlanta for Javante davis june said
0: shit to us i guess we'll find out next week when we go okay i want
1: to go with you because um chicken and waffles for me I have, so here's the deal. If I go to a restaurant, my wife hates me for this. Well, that, for many things, but this particularly, if I have lasagna or, or, um, or meatloaf on any menu, particularly a nice restaurant, I'll, I don't care what else they offer. I have to try their version of it and gourmet versions of lasagna or meatloaf for as non-gourmet in, in, in general, as those meals are, they blow me away. Gourmet versions of, of chicken and waffles, because it's become such a thing, Luke, are incredible the best chicken and waffles i've ever had are in atlanta luke atlanta has the best breakfast in the world
0: oh you no it doesn't
1: outside of it
0: kind yeah, of i did grow up it doesn't have the best breakfast in the world that's absolutely not true okay i haven't no.
1: seen much of the world i'm very closed in in my culture luke i'm sure maybe <laughs> in doha you had some incredible uh you know lamb for breakfast or something but luke i'm telling you you and i need to hit that scene we need to hit that circuit June,
0: June, uh, June. i would do that have you ever been to the varsity no, so the varsity is famous in atlanta it's it, they they made it into a chain by the time i had gone to college so when i came back there was actually a, there was actually several locations of them but for the longest time there was only one it's across the street from the georgia state and georgia tech campuses uh yeah. or, or not across the street I should say across the highway in fact for folks who don't know georgia state and then georgia tech are like almost right next to each other so it's on the other side of the highway and it's this place at the time you understand at the time it was like a drive through It was a place where you could pull in and then they would come out on roller skates to like, you know, feed you in your car. And it was the absolute greasiest spoon stuff you could imagine. Burgers with chili on them, hot dogs and cheese. They were famous for their orange, like orange, almost like slushy, almost like a yogurty uh drink. You know, they were famous for that. And they made many other franchises of them there was one in Kennesaw they put up by the time I had been back but the var- the original varsity in downtown was one of those sort of things you had to try at least once it was like before there were all these five guys in Shake Shacks it was kind of like the original southern version of that something like okay.
1: that I'm into that let's do that and I want I want to prove you wrong about Atlanta's breakfast scene all right
0: Atlanta's got good breakfast but hardly the best in the world all right from JJ Frias 17 this is interesting I remember listening to 1067 the Fan randomly to the Lavar Arrington and Duke show years ago and heard Luke Thomas talk MMA. Followed him ever since. There you go. Appreciate that. The question is two best books you have read since the pandemic uh BC last book you read or maybe just a tweet. <laughs>
1: <laughs> when I do read, it is I I mean I love uh biographies or you know or autobiographies particularly within the combat sports or NBA game. So, um, look, I I've said this before, man, it's not a new book I've read. I didn't really read during the pandemic. I I painted. Okay. I bought vinyl records. Um, but let me say this, Luke, have you ever read? Um, all right. So one of the best books ever, have you ever read that Vince Lombardi? I know it's not NBA, but that Vince Lombardi biography. No, it's, it's very famous. Hold on. I'm looking it up. It's, um, it's called when pride still mattered. A Life of Vince Lombardi. It's the most detailed biography I think ever written on someone in terms of like researching the history of the family, going back generations and why Vince was, I mean, I was enamored reading this book. It it was incredible. So these are the only type of books outside of like self-help motivation type stuff that you hate that I get into. That was incredible. incredible. And there's a book on Michael Jordan's two years with the wizards when it, it's called... Uh, it's written by somebody from the Washington Post, Luke.
0: Sally Jenkins?
1: No, it's called... Uh, uh, I can't find the name of it. And it's it's called... Oh, I got it right here. It's called When Nothing Else Matters. And it's a book about Who wrote how... It? I'll tell you shortly. Uh, Michael Leahy? Hmm. It's a book about how Jordan's run with the Wizards was... Ted Leonosis, is it Leonosis, that bastard, Luke? Yeah. Him using Jordan's name for ticket sales and Jordan using their willingness to use him in order to get his competitiveness out. And it's such a detailed inside look, game by game, day by day, about why that experiment failed and they never made the playoffs. It is so incredible. I read it right after reading The Jordan Rules, you know that famous book from Sam Smith in the early 90s about – the 91 title season and how much Jordan's a prick to deal with. It's very, it's a very interesting look at somebody, which the last dance showed us right about somebody so obsessive as MJ.
0: Psychotically competitive. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I won't go into all the details. They asked for two books I read. I'll just give you the best one that I read. I actually finished it um, last week. Uh, I had put it away and just never picked it up. And finally decided said, let me, let me go and read it. Actually Ezra Klein's new book, why we're polarized is pretty good pretty informative uh in particular bc like there's it's not great man like some of the conclusions that he comes to and and part of it is uh how much the various layers of our identity now fall along partisan political lines to the point where they can uh reasonably assess what your political positions or at least your orientations might be by virtue of your proximity to whole foods um by which states you live in by what kind of music you listen to by what kind of ways in which there's both polarization as well as something called sorting and how the two have overlapped into a pretty significant problem uh it's actually very good easy to read well explained and um yeah i recommend it it's a good read really good read All
1: Right, i have Bisping's book right now I, I just started that i'm interested in that luke
0: i'm interested he he doesn't like doping too much I've i've heard okay like me and him get along like actually really well, except when it comes to doping. He just hates my opinions on that, which is fine. You know, we'll be the, we'll be the only one. All right, from Dacky Smacky, gentlemen. Question: No one's going to answer this. What is the most embarrassing thing to have happened to you? Also, how long would BC have lasted had he decided to leave his factory town and go into the Marine Corps? Well, BC, how long would you have made it? Boot camp's thirteen weeks. Um,
1: Riddick Bow made it what six days, Luke? <laughs> yes uh no i you know why did
0: he wash out like a hoe It's one of the most unbelievable things i've ever seen it was such
1: a weird time for him to do it right his career was falling apart his family was falling apart so he's like i need the discipline i'm going into the marines it was just weird um you know in hindsight luke i almost entered the army national guard in in mid-college to be able to have college paid right yeah uh i wish in hindsight that i had done that because i really you know i you know i look back at my my run as a adult quote unquote, from 18 to 25. I mean, it's just a shit show, Luke. I mean, it's just a, it's just a, yeah. I mean, I was just, anyone who like, was it a co-employee with me back then? Probably thought I was going to end up, you know, working in a factory. Um, I really wish I We got had this guy done.
0: who works for us, Brian Campbell. He loves crazy town. He won't stop talking yeah, about I,
1: it. I really wish I had done that. At that time, Luke, I really wish I had not, you know, had done a National Guard or something like that, or even entered, you know, what you did. Um, How much would I have lasted? It would have been bad early. And Luke, I'm sure it's bad early, no matter how tough you are. That's a, you know, that's a test of of everything you're made of, right? You know, it's, it's a reprogramming, right? It's a strip yeah. you down to build you back up. Um, I could have lasted because Luke, I am jokes aside. I am factory tough. There's a reason I am where I am now, Luke. It's not always because of my uh, greatness, but I do have that thing, right? That perseverance, that, that willingness. Luke, I get knocked down a lot, <laughs> but I get up again, Luke. And so far, you know, so far, you're never going to keep me down, right? Um, I'd like to believe Luke. That i would have that i would have uh i would have st- no in fact i know it luke i know what's in here i know yeah. what's under this kind of kind
0: of like you can already just count it you know you don't have to think about it
1: i mean it would have been gross i would have <laughs> cried a lot luke probably yeah. you know i would have I, I didn't cry until
0: old- i graduated i didn't cry uh i'll say this most embarrassing thing i don't know if it's the most embarrassing but i've got one that's insanely embarrassing that i should say whatever comes first at this point 200k subs on my personal channel or a million on on um on mk it might be mk before i fire that fucking channel back up but uh there is one i've got in the chamber bc that you are absolutely going to love it's very very good it's really good
1: Do you want a quick one from me luke
0: uh yes but, but i want to get to some of these questions so make it fast all
1: right well i'll save it for something for a good time then
0: although. okay good uh there's one here about real madrid but there's really no way for you to answer it. i mean answer it any kind of interesting way but for folks i mean i realize the they're, the euros are coming up they have to replay the old 2020 tournament and the current coach of the spanish national team for the first time in the history of the country uh, the teams anyway didn't select a single player from real madrid now that's not quite true they would have picked Sergio Ramos, but he was injured. Um, but there's a whole bigger explanation for that. I'll, I'll skip it. Um,
1: Who's the coach of that? Didn't he? Didn't he just get like go or something?
0: Zinedine Zidane left. He left for the second time.
1: He was a badass player, Luke. I don't know a lot. I don't headbutt
0: I mean, motherfuckers in the French and then in the World Cup. You know what was a great Uh,
1: game on PlayStation One, FIFA ninety eight with the uh, with the song uh, song two by Blur as the theme song of that game. Do you remember that game? I used the shit out of France that year because they won it that year, Luke. Okay, it was France is maybe the best
0: team in the world. Who was on that Uh, team?
1: Who was on ninety eight France? Henri and Zidane and uh, who else?
0: Zidane, yeah, money, money. Not the guy with the
1: scar on his face. Who's that guy? Who's the Doctor Evil French guy? You know I'm talking about. Mm -mm. The France player with the scar on his face. Everybody, I can pull up
0: the roster. Hold on. I can pull it up. Let's see. Uh, Nineteen ninety-eight French
1: Ribery, R- R- you know Ribery. Oh man. yeah, he
0: plays for he played for a long time for Bayern Ribery. Yeah,
1: yeah, he wasn't on the ninety-eight team, but uh, but okay. Here we go.
0: Uh, let's see. F- Nineteen ninety-eight FIFA World Cup squads. Let's go to France. Here we go. They had Lama, Candela, Lizarazu, Patrick Vieira, Blanc. Cap Deschamps, who's the, you know, Deschamps, Desali, Guy Varche, Zidane, Perez, Thierry Henry, Thierry Henry, excuse me, Diomede, Bogosian, Thuram, Barthez, Pettit, Leboeuf, Crembo, Trezeguet, Duggery, Charbonnier. My French is fucking good, bro. Luke, no, my, i terrible. just
1: opened this for the first time my wife put it in my christmas stocking but i don't open it because it's very helwani boxing like but doesn't this look like pulp fiction
0: a little bit yeah they're gonna they're gonna meme you like a motherfucker. that's awkward that. as sh-
1: shit yeah that's right. let's
0: do like one maybe one more of these let me see if i can pick a good one someone's asking about tupac and biggie i might
1: uh i i like them luke
0: hold on There's some good ones here. All right, here we go. BC, last one. From we'll do well, the other ones that we didn't get to. We'll do for um, room service diaries. All right, BC, what is your favorite broadcaster or sports personality catchphrase? I always loved hearing Stuart, Stuart Scott, excuse me, talk about the cool side of the pillow, or Teddy Atlas talking about water in the basement yeah. when referring to body shots. Also, I find myself telling my girlfriend. To seek psychological counseling. So thanks for that one, Luke. (laughs) All right, BC. I got to tell you, my favorite commentators, they don't have catchphrases, but like Doc Emmerich, who I always bring up, he doesn't have a catchphrase that I can recall, BC. Not not a super special one, but it's just the way he intonates words where if you see like it's two on one and they're screaming down the ice, he's got a certain way of describing what's happening and it just gets you dialed in so it's not Kinda a catchphrase like but a certain way of a comfortability in the way he speaks
1: like that horse racing guy dave johnson who used to do down the stretch they come if you only watch one horsing racing horse race a year luke and you heard that you get fired up right
0: i'm wow. not into horse racing no, I wait. well i got it
1: i used to like the kentucky derby a lot um luke i i always thought hubie brown was the i still think he's the greatest analyst that i've ever seen in sports you know great nba ex-coach and analyst and he would always have such a cool way of breaking down what he's seeing in a technical way that we're not and I always love that he'd be like this is one of the best guys that we have in this league and he always made it seem like we're all in this together Luke I always appreciated that okay
0: that's pretty cool Um, Uh, I mean is
1: is yes by Marv Albert like that's I mean it's so iconic and addictive you know
0: dude does anyone remember how Marv Albert bit that chick on the ass and everything and like his whole career almost went tits up and Dennis Leary mocked him and I had a
1: a talk recently with somebody who knew knows marv or worked with him for years and i was like it's is is like all that true and is it like is he really like and like he's like yeah (laughs) it's just like yeah yeah uh, yeah
0: i gotta work with that guy too bad he's retiring he sounds perfect for mk uh all right dude.
1: but look the spirit of that question bringing up Stuart scott i mean how great luke was 90s sports center not just olberman and patrick patrick but like craig kilborn was was amazing and and prime early 90s sports center luke
0: it changed the way sports were programmed and delivered to the masses here in the united states
1: i mean it was like dude you had i mean it's like it's a cliche to say but you could not freaking wait because there was no you know plethora of internet for that show to come on and your favorite sports center guy to come on and call those highlights with the jokes in there. I mean, look, even Chris Berman who became such a character of himself, the rest of his career, you cannot discount late eighties, 90, 91, 92. What seeing that guy do the NFL highlights was like, you know, I mean, it's just,
0: there's no real equivalent. There's nothing that held the preeminence and it just felt modern and cool and different. The original sports center, at least the first, like, couple of iterations of it were pretty fun I mean, i'm not awesome. here to
1: trash our competitors or my former employer but you know sports center now and espn in general is so sterile luke it is so just not with it it is so just not cool it's it's purposely appealing trying to appeal to everybody in an effort that appeals at least for my taste to no one do you remember how hip and edgy Sports Center once was do you remember when ESPN 2 launched and it was like it was you were chairing for them to succeed almost like they were like your hometown mm-hmm. team? It was like these guys get it, they're not lame, they're lame now, Luke.
0: It's a little lame, it's a little lame, but they still have a giant audience, and you know, you can't take away what they did. What they did was pretty impressive. But that's where people like us, we are the descendants of that generation. I'm not saying we're edgy or cool. We're washed as fuck. And our doctors keep telling us we're washed as fucked. But yeah, my doctor uh, this
1: morning, Luke, he put me on. uh
0: (laughs) (laughs) But you know what I mean? Like we lived through that, that, that informed our judgment about what kind of thing we wanted to be and what we wanted to do. And I think we took that and and made it our own. So there you have it. Okay. If we didn't get to your questions, we will for the next uh, room service diaries, which will be in Miami and, um, we're going to record that earlier in the week. So we're not so washed by the time we watch it or by the time it airs. Uh, and you know, we can, we can, you know, look halfway, uh, decent at the time. Um, so please keep leaving questions. If you can thumbs up on the video, hit subscribe. Let's see BC big week in front of us traveling the whole nine yards. Anything you want to say? no
1: nah, i mean you know loyal gains or some shit like that and you know thank uh, you to our viewer i love rfp i love yes shit thank people. you to
0: everyone who left the question again if we didn't get to it we will so you're gonna get your answer one way or the other and um that's it that's it we're good uh happy memorial day please don't drink and drive take care of yourself take care of each other we got a big week in front of us so thanks for watching now hope to catch you later that's brian campbell i'm luke thomas until next time may all of your gains be loyal